Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about on Wednesday the 10th of August. I'm Jessie Stevens. I'm Susan Cullen, filling in for Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman and I'm feeling sad about Olivia Newton-John. interviewed her, hadn't you? I did interview her. She came into the Mamma Mia office, which she didn't have to do, and I can't tell you how lightly she wears her fame. She is the most warm, engaging, humble, authentic person, and it's like that's what everybody's saying, anyone who's ever met her and people who are friends, and the same thing keeps coming out, that she was just a lovely, lovely, wonderful person. She came in and she was just She wanted to know if there were dogs in the office because she saw a dog bed and she stayed. And the thing that celebrities don't have much of is time. Mm. And she was so generous with her time because, of course, everybody wanted a selfie with Sandy from Greece. Well, it's funny because we were at Netball last night chatting about it and my twin sister said, I think everyone I've ever met has a photo with Olivia Newton-John. That's what I've learnt today. (gasps) And then she got in the car, did a bit of a scroll, found a picture of her with Newton-John and then her fiancé, Rory... He has a photo with Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. I think half the netball team had a photo with her from an event or... Yes, that happened to have met her. Exactly. Rest in power, Olivia. On the show today, a listener dilemma about an overstepping mother-in-law. It's not Mia. It could be, but it's not. And the debate No Filter started this week about choosing motherhood over your career. I'm about to throw down. I've been looking forward to this since Monday. I cannot wait. But first. Last week, we talked about Beyonce's use of an ableist slur in a song on her new album. Beyonce, of course, came about six weeks after Lizzo, who used the same lyric and also changed it. Both women went back and changed the lyric. But something about this story was bothering me and I couldn't work out what it was. It wasn't changing the lyric. I thought that was progress and I thought it was done in a really dignified way. I loved the statements that both of the women released. I thought listening and learning was all really important. But I couldn't help but notice that these were two black women, black progressive women, self-proclaimed feminists. Their identity is branded as political, whether they like it or not. They do not have the luxury of not being vocal about their politics. Then there's men. So there you go. Oh, can't make a wife out of a hoe. I like them slim in the waist, curves in the right place. A bitch with hips, lips, and a tight face. Uh-huh. Pussy is pussy, so yeah, I hit that. Come be in Shady's world. Oh boy, you drive me crazy. Bitch, you make they me curl. Me this week, Eminem released an album called Curtain Call 2. It's a greatest hits album. 
But one of the tracks, unsurprisingly, used the same word. And this is unsurprising because he's used it his entire career. I'm sure there are lots of tracks with a lot of horrible words. Exactly. I would bet every dollar in my bank account that this man will not be changing his lyric. Interestingly, Beyonce's own husband, Jay-Z, is known for using the S word. He's faced barely any backlash. And did you know that song on Beyonce's album, Heated, was co-written with Drake? I didn't know that. Beyonce was the only thing we heard when it came to that song. Drake uses it often, so does Kanye, the list goes on. What I've been thinking about... That's so true. ...is the expectation for women to be kind and inclusive at all times and how this expectation is not extended to men. We police women's behaviour and their language in a way we just don't to men. And as I said, black women taking the stage has been framed as inherently political. They are forced to stand for something, inclusion, equality, and men aren't. Black men to an extent are. I think that's a little bit different in terms of being vocal about race, but the expectation for kindness isn't there. Interestingly as well, I did a big sweep this morning. Eminem's lyric has not been picked up by one mainstream publication. I think there was an article on SBS and a few kind of underground, like, disability communities. Otherwise, it is not going to make it. Twitter is silent. Yes, it is not going to be a big story. This is what I want to know. Is this because men leave each other alone? They don't pile on each other? Is it because they're not expected to be kind? What is going on here? What do you reckon, Susan? I found this so interesting. You bringing this, hadn't thought about it all, wasn't aware of it at all, and it is so interesting. I actually Googled, quote, offensive Eminem lyrics, unquote, to get a sense of what he said. My God, we could spend 450 years talking about some of the things he's sung about. He also has songs about setting women on fire that have broken up with him. Yeah, it's just kind of expected and it's like, oh, well, that's Eminem and that's the genre. And I know this because my kids sing along with those songs. Mm. So I wonder if it's who the fans are that plays a role because I reckon it will be the fans of Lizzo and Beyonce that have done this calling out. They will be fans of those women who have said, we're really unhappy about these lyrics that you use, whereas I doubt Eminem's fans care at all about him using any slurs or any derogatory terms. They probably love it. And so I wonder if, as you said, Jesse, women are held to a certain standard But also it's sort of they're, I don't want to say being attacked, but they're being held to account, policed, Mm -hmm. yeah, by the people who love them for better or worse. So I don't know, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? That's what I can't work out and is the answer to police men to the same extent, to police women less or just to acknowledge that we have an inherent bias towards women, which is always why aren't you being kinder? Yeah. Mia, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm so interested in this and I'm also so thrilled you brought it up. And I know this very well because my children are of the age where they like to listen to particular music and they often like to listen to it in the car while I'm driving. And I'm really conflicted because some of these songs are a great bop. I really like listening to them. I like learning about new music and what the kids are interested in. But I'm not that thrilled about singing along to the lyrics about bitches and hoes, among other things. It's funny. I wrote a story years ago now, I think, that was about 
when Ellen DeGeneres was being piled on for um, not being not, nice, enough. not being nice enough, mm. and I wrote a story about David Letterman, yeah, and how they never those rumors of the way he treated people. It was like, oh well, he's a rich, famous guy. Of course, he's not nice, but. Women are kind of cornered into making niceness their brand and then it is weaponized against them to be like, you're never nice enough, you're always going to fail. So you almost don't want to engage. <laughs> it's almost like social justice is a dangerous game to play because eventually you're not going to do enough. Well, that's true. I mean, you, you said that just their very existence is political because they're black women mm. in an industry-dominated by white men, you could say the same for Lizzo's body. It's like we all go, yay, it's so subversive and transgressive to have someone who's not a straight-sized woman successful and on a public stage and then she'll go on her Instagram and say something or that she's doing a juice cleanse and everyone will lose their minds because she's let everybody down Mm. because she's succumbing to diet culture and she's just like, but isn't the point that it's my body and I can do with it what I want? I think there was some really worthy criticism of the word and a productive conversation, but before attacking women and criticising them and demanding... But we all agree that it's a good thing Mm. that people aren't using those words in songs, right? So we think that that's progress. But your point is, why is this expectation not extended to men in the same industry doing the same thing? I can't imagine that it'll ever happen. I just wonder as well if it's that women are more online. Well, they're more online in a way when it comes to sharing and having conversations on Twitter or Facebook and or Instagram. Men aren't sharing to the well, same extent. Well, men don't scold each other. I don't want to dismiss anybody who makes a point as being a scold because that's unfair too. Yeah. But that idea of calling out, it is a, quite a female thing and we're going to talk about that more in the mm. later segment about motherhood and career and everything. Let us know what you think out loud is. I want to know if this is something you've been noticing as well and what the solution is. Do we just start calling men out to the same extent? I don't know. And is anyone else conflicted as a parent? They want to sing along (laughs) in the car, but they can't. Yes. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Hi, my name's Amy. This is a question for Out Loud. Look, I need some advice for my 16-year-old daughter. I have a bit of a dilemma. We received an anonymous listener dilemma, and I think some of you might find it interesting. Hi, Mamma Mia Out Loud. I just got engaged, congratulations, and my partner and I decided we wanted to keep it to ourselves for a little while, maybe a few days, just to soak it up. But after less than an hour of telling our parents, I got a random message from a friend congratulating me. Then I checked Facebook and my fiance's mother had announced it on her Facebook. I hadn't even told my sister yet. I am so annoyed. Should I confront my mother-in-law? Mia, as an overbearing mother-in-law, what would you do? 
gosh, you have to be careful. I'm going to say she was very excited. I had this exact dilemma because I found out when Jesse and Luca got engaged a few days before they made it Instagram official, and that's what it means now. And it was really hard. I had to come into work. I had to sit in this podcast studio with Holly. You know, everyone, oh, how's Luca's holiday going? And I had to go, oh, good. It was your news, and I was very conscious of that and very respectful, but it's also my news. It is. I think it's really hard because as someone who does have an oversharing (laughs) mother-in-law, I think what you have to do is make it very clear when things are a secret because people You didn't make it clear. I didn't make it clear, and to me it wasn't. I said, like, if you'd told people, I don't think I would have been mad. I could have announced it on my Instagram. I could have done it in one of my Instababbles, just gone, oh my God, so excited. Jesse and Luca just called. See, that wouldn't have bothered me. It might have bothered Luca, but it wouldn't have bothered me. And this is where I get in trouble sometimes. Mm. My approach to any news is everyone must know immediately. That would be my default. So if someone says I'm having a baby, I would go, oh, mum's going to be so thrilled that my friend's having a baby and I'd pick up the phone and tell her. And then my mum would congratulate her. That's because Isn't that I'm, just gossip? It's gossip and it's exciting and it's coming from a really good place. Yeah. So that's why I think that you have to specify if you need that to be secret and confidential, which I don't know if the person did hear. That's what I was thinking too. She doesn't say anywhere in her letter that she actually told the mother-in-law. If you told her it was a secret and she did it anyway, then is this reflective of a pattern of behaviour? Is she kind of always overstepping and being inappropriate? If you didn't tell her, I'm sorry, it's kind of on you. Like if it mattered to you this much, I think you should have said, please, we just want to keep this to ourselves or we just let us tell my sister whatever best friend first. If you didn't, she would have thought because you've told me, now everyone can know. And she was excited, which actually is a good thing because there are mother-in-laws out there that would have been very upset (laughs) that their son was marrying a certain woman. So at least she liked it. That's good. That's why I didn't post about it for so long. (laughs) I think that's true. And Suze, don't you think also everyone is the main character in their life? (laughs) And even though the mother-in-law is to this out louder a side character, in the mother-in-law's life, she's the main character and her son just got engaged. And people can't anticipate your boundaries when it comes to privacy Mm -hmm. because everyone's are so different. And Mia, you've talked about this before, that your instinct is very similar to mine, which is share, share, share. People need to communicate if their boundary is different or whatever because, again, I think it's coming from a good place and that you've just got to be really clear. I would say, though, if this is kind of a bit of a pattern, I would talk to your fiancé and I think it would actually be better for the fiancé to talk to his mum rather than you and say, look, mum, you know, this was our news and, you know, it's really important and we've got to respect whatever because if it comes from you, this woman's going to be in your life probably for the rest of your life and you want to and you need to have a good Mm. relationship with her. So I reckon if this is sort of a bit of a problem, it would be better for her son to have the conversation with her than you because she'll take it a lot better. Otherwise, you, you could be cast as the enemy. And I don't want to be ageist, but I'm just going to also defend the mother in law and say that there are some people who are maybe Gen Xs or who are baby boomers who don't quite get, she would have thought, oh, but it's just my friends on Facebook. Yes. They're different. So don't really understand the implications of social media. In our community, it's a very valuable present to give a mother-in-law, which makes it almost priceless. 
If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for Mamma Mia subscribers. To get full access, follow the link in the show notes and a big thank you to all our current subscribers. Big news in tennis. Serena Williams wants to farewell tennis on her own terms. She has given an exclusive interview. Well, she's written an essay actually for US Vogue's iconic September issue. A little bit of backstory tea to that. Anna Wintour, who's the editor-in-chief of US Vogue, is tennis obsessed and she's very good friends with every major tennis star in the world. She's an absolute tennis nut. She gets up at four in the morning and goes and plays tennis before work. Anyway, that was a tangent. And the reason that she's farewelling tennis is she's 41 now and she wants to have another baby. And she wrote, believe me, I never wanted to have to choose between tennis and a family. I don't think it's fair. If I were a guy, I wouldn't be writing this because I'd be out there playing and winning while my wife was doing the physical labour of expanding our family. This is very interesting timing because all my social media and the Outlouders group has been lit up this week after my interview on No Filter with a woman called Virginia Tapscott, who I reached out to after I read a story that she'd written about how she's chosen motherhood over career. She's got four small children. She describes herself as ambitious, university-educated, career-minded, used to be a journalist, and yet when she had her first baby, she was like, but I don't want to go back to work. And then she had three more babies. She's basically said not only is society really disrespectful when it comes to looking after children and women that choose to stay home, She said other women are as well. And it wasn't a battle of women, but we had a really interesting conversation where she challenged me, I challenged her, because when I read her essay, I felt really defensive at this idea that I've chosen my career over my children because I wasn't at home with them when they were little, full time. She feels really defensive that there's this idea that what she's doing is not of high value. And the only way a woman can contribute in society is to be in the paid workforce. So here's a little bit of our conversation from No Filter. The more we drift into this, all meaning and making is made in the workplace and that's where you get your value and that's where you earn respect, the harder it is to get your feel-good feelings from a caregiving role, the lonelier it is. Mothers, especially early on in their journey, need support. In what kind of ways do you think? Financially, professionally, in learning but none of those things change the boringness of it. And it sounds like I'm dissing you because there's a I loved your piece until I got to this bit. This is the bit no, that no, got me. You're right. I didn't not love this, but this is the bit I want to challenge you on. I can't count the number of times I've heard another mum say they went back to work because they became bored with looking after children and needed more stimulation. The implication is clear that full-time child rearing is intellectually inferior. We've managed to cast the full-time parent as somehow lacking ambition, not as intelligent and a little lazy. Parenting is a slow burn, okay? So there is a lot of work, endless work, bright spots in the work, but you don't see the reward like straight away in a sense. Like I think the rewards sort of build up to those milestones and to those seeing them do those first things. And I think socially we're quite conditioned for, well, I do this, I get that. I go to work this week, I get paid. And I would say nothing has challenged my intellect like having children around. I was screaming in my car listening to this podcast. I loved it. It really challenged how 
I thought and I agreed with so much of what Virginia said and I just wanted to call you up and go, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. and this is what I wanted to say is that she was spot on about the sense that being a mother who looks after your kids inside the home full time has been denigrated. I think it really, mm. really has. I think that there's a sense that it is boring, unstimulating, not intellectually challenging. And therefore, when I speak to people who look after their kids, they almost feel that they have to preface it with, I'm just a stay-at-home mum. It's like we're internally devaluing what we do with our days. And at the same time as we're arguing for childcare educators to be paid more and be more respected, caring roles we continue to just dismiss, we don't see them as economically valuable. And I was thinking about things like maternity leave, which are arbitrary economic decisions made by businesses or governments they're not actually about biology or our social, what's socially best for us. So Virginia's point was that being at home with their mother or a primary carer for the first three years, or she was even arguing the first five years, is what's best for the child. We're kidding ourselves if we think that outsourcing, as she put it, to daycare is in the interests of the child. I was thinking about what we do when research does not align with our politics when research appears anti-feminist. The World Health Organization, for example, and this is a tangent, but they will say some things about breastfeeding, right? And then women who can't breastfeed go, stop telling me to breastfeed. And it's yeah, like- I feel that as pressure. Yes. But the problem is, Jesse, that research that mm-hmm. Virginia is quoting is child-first research and baby-first research, yes. right? So that just taps into this idea that if you're a good mother, what you always have to do is put your child above yourself. Now, to a certain extent, that is true, But a mother who is not stimulated, who is not financially independent, who, you know, lets her career go and puts herself in a vulnerable position because she's been out of the paid workforce for so long, that's not necessarily good for the child either. I know that I am a much better mother because I am, I was when my children were little, because I wasn't at home with them all day. I think I have two main thoughts. One is about feminism, which we can get to. The second one is that I think we need to accept that there is a very real and perhaps unsolvable tension here, at least not easily resolved, in that on the one hand, the evidence probably does pretty clearly show that all things being equal, it is best for a child, at least until they're two, to be spending most of their time with their primary caregiver. But on the other hand, parents often either need to work or want to work. Either in the immediate, you know, we've got to pay our bills or or whatever, or, you know, they're just not enjoying being at home. Also, you know, further down the track, they're not, you know, out of the workforce for 10 years. Being at home with young children can just be too much for some people. It really can be boring and lonely. People didn't like it how much I said it was boring. (laughs) (laughs) The difficult thing is these two things exist simultaneously and I don't think we can legislate against them. I don't think we can legislate them away. So like the government could say, okay, everyone, three years paid parental leave, which would be great for some people, but some people don't want to be at home. It is for whatever reason, that isn't what they want. They're not happy being at home full time. So we've got this clash of economics and science and feminism, and then also individual preferences. I don't think there Mm. is a neat way to resolve it, but I think we need to be honest about the tension. I think so many of us are so emotionally invested in this because wherever we sit, we feel like we're being told we're a bad 
parent or a bad feminist or a bad mother or bad employer, it strikes the heart really closely, I think. And we need to be able to talk about this without thinking that there is a clear-cut answer. Mm. And what do you think it says about feminism? I think Virginia made a really good point in her original article that she wrote, which is what you interviewed her about, Mia. And you actually quoted this quote in your interview where Virginia said, in order to argue the case for women being able to work outside the home, career feminists had to denigrate the act of caring for children in the home. They had to argue that childcare and home duties were beneath them. Naturally, they sought empowerment by placing themselves where the power lay in the workplace. They viewed power through the lens of the patriarchy, the very system they sought to dismantle. And she goes on. What I would say about feminism is that it's not static. No one is the boss of it. And us as people, we get to remold it. And this has always happened with feminism. So we can remold feminism now. The three of us, other people, we can pull it in a new direction if we look at old ideas like the complete dismissal of stay-at-home parenting and say, sorry, that idea was completely cooked that you thought that. Every new wave of feminism does that. The second wave of feminists look back at the first wave of feminists and said, why did all you care about, why was it only white women and getting the vote? There's so much more that matters to feminists. And so the second wave of feminists changed that. What we can say is that this mode of feminism that does only or primarily value paid capitalist work outside of the home is wrong. And we can say that needs to change. It doesn't fix everything. It doesn't solve that tension that we spoke about where there is always this tension. But I think we can at least bring feminism to a better place in the discussion. I don't know, Mia, what do you think? Can we change feminism? What worries me, and this can sound patronising and condescending, and it can also sound like I'm trying to justify my own choices, right? And I've heard from women in the Outlouders group who say they did what Virginia did. They decided that their husband was going to be the primary breadwinner. They were going to lean in to family and they were either going to not do paid work out of the home or they were going to really sort of do it around the edges of child rearing. So they were not going to basically fulfil their career ambitions. And they say that while they did that happily at the time, now that their children are older and they're in what they call the quiet years, they feel resentful and lonely and they're at an age where they can't kickstart their careers in their 50s. I think we've got to look at the long game. It's not just about when kids are babies and toddlers. But I reckon that actually goes to Virginia's point, which is that the economic model we have is not fit for purpose. This thing, the fact that it's a $62 billion industry, childcare or whatever it is, yet women who stay at home with their children don't see any of that because it's considered something that economically isn't valuable or whatever. But Means I also that think, women are vulnerable. But don't you think, Jessie, it also denigrates people in the childcare sector? Because something I really pushed back on her with was this idea that all children are better off being at home with their primary carer rather than being in a daycare or kindergarten situation. And I said, well, it depends. If they're a parent like you who is going to do craft and activities and be at the park. But if you're not that kind of parent, either if you just don't enjoy that stuff or you're not capable of doing that stuff, then there are a lot of benefits. Yes. And, and there are things that kids will learn at daycare and childcare and kindy that they will not learn at home. And childcare is the great equaliser in that way. My brothers have uh, both childcare educators and what that can do in terms of democratising education and ensuring that you 
get kids early. Mm. That's why they call it best start because yes. Virginia's point is that, oh, but the best start is going to be at home. And I'm like, well, maybe for your kids, but maybe for kids living in a different household, the best start is going to be yes. at paid and I childcare. I agree with that. However, to Virginia's point, I think that what capitalism does is make us think a job needs to be outsourced when it doesn't necessarily. So by that I mean, are we making some parents feel like they do not have the skills to parent a one to three-year-old. And what Virginia was trying to say is that she has found it intellectually stimulating because of all the things you have to bloody learn when you're a parent for the first time. Yeah, but my point was that you have to learn those whether you're at home all day, every day anyway. I had to learn how to answer difficult questions and do activities. I mean, it's not like anyone's leaving their children to have a job. You're yes, still home but at I some think time. In terms of a hierarchy, the idea that kind of paid work is at the top and that's when you're really smart and you're doing the good stuff and you're really contributing to the world. But if you are staying at home with your kids looking after them, then that's a lower tier. I really have trouble yeah, with that. Because it is I capitalism. Think you're right. Because it's, yeah. it's all caring. It's not just caring for little kids. It's caring for partners. It's caring for loved ones with disabilities or elderly parents. I think we just shouldn't expect an economic system to give us a, a moral framework. It's never going to. Economics or capitalism might say this, but that doesn't mean that that's going to be the best way we want to live. Is a good life. It doesn't make necessarily for a good life. That shouldn't be our frame of reference. I have a quick recommendation before we go. It is for a book. It's brand new, I think just out in the last couple of weeks. It is called Electric and Bad and Brave by Tom Pitts. I have had the great experience, as I'm sure you two have as well, of sometimes being sent books early and being asked if you want to endorse them. It takes a lot for me to endorse a book because when you put your name on something, you're like, this better be good. It's like my recommendations on Out Loud. I'm not just going to recommend anything. Mm. So I read this book and it got me and I think I read it in one sitting. It is by an Australian, this Tom Pitts is Aussie. It's about memory and alcoholism and mental illness and it's got one of those narrators, the main voice that you don't know if you can trust and you go back and forward the whole time. Like it's really plotty and fast-paced. If you're going away or something and you just want something Mm, to read. I love a plotty book. Yeah, that you can't put down. This is it. It's also stunning writing. Highly recommend. Electric and Bad and Brave, it's called. That is all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for listening. The producer of Mum Mia Out Loud is Emma Gillespie and we will see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone. Big thanks to anyone listening who has become a Mamma Mia subscriber. Subscribers get access to every podcast, exclusive videos and all the great articles on Mamma Mia. Subscriptions cost as little as $5.75 a month. There's a link in our show notes.